Colter Nuanas from ESPN Montana here at the M Store. Proud to present our Nuanas Now podcast each and every day, available on all of your various podcast hosting platforms. One of their awesome partners, a guy that really is uh, helping spread the word about the M Store, is Grizz All American Junior Bergen. What's up, man? Thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you for having me. First of all, you got a cool t shirt. What's it like being on a t shirt? You're a kid from Billings, Montana, so that, yeah. might, that must be kind of surreal knowing there's a t shirt of you at the M Store. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I went to a couple basketball games back home. And uh, I saw some kids running around with I their love shirt it. on. And it was really surreal. It was a cool moment, cool experience for sure. Uh, that's so cool. You guys do such a good job of embracing how much the community loves you. But when people are looking up to you like they do, I mean, they think, I mean, you're the man right now for <laughs> <laughs> the University of Montana. What's yeah. that like being a Montana kid? Um, it's different for sure. Um, you know, growing up, you kind of look up to guys like who are in the NFL totally. and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's just great to have a, a positive influence on these kids' lives. Um, you know, I just wanted to make sure. Uh, I set the example and lead by example and give them someone to look up to. Go check out the M Store. They're located there at the corner of Higgins and Broadway here in the city of Missoula. And you can also visit anytime online, MontanaMStore.com. They have all the latest and greatest, a whole bunch of original Grizz gear. And of course, they have Junior Bergen t-shirts. Junior Bergen, proud partner with the M Store, as well as us here at uh, ESPN Montana. Thanks for swinging by, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. If you're planning a meeting, conference, or special event in Missoula, consider the Wingate by Wyndham. Our event space is comfortable and flexible. Whether you need an intimate boardroom meeting or a conference war 100, Missoula's Wingate is the perfect fit. Our audio-visual equipment, upgraded internet, and flexible food and beverage policies allow you to put on an impressive show without breaking the bank. Call us at Missoula's Wingate, where we make you feel at home when you're not. We go now to the Rangers Brothers RV phone line. We welcome in our buddy Mike Dugar, covers the Seahawks for the Athletic, was at the game last night. Hi, Mike. How are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. I wish I just didn't book a flight to Philly with a middle seat for five hours. But, oh, man. Uh, uh, other than that, you know, I'm, I'm doing all right. You know, maybe you get some very nice people. You know, you double your chances at having a, you know, a nice conversation with somebody. Are you a talker on the plane? Do you do that? <laughs> or do you want to, like, put on the headphones and write or do whatever? I have literally never spoken to anyone on a plane. Uh, I, I have headphones, and I don't have AirPods. I have over the head, so it's yes. very clear that I'm not interested in talking to you. Don't speak uh, to me. About where you're going, where you're coming from, your family, your life. You let me listen to my music and, and catch this nap. So, yeah, no, I'm very antisocial uh, on airplanes. Once, up, once upon a time when I was flying back from Dallas, I had just watched Montana State get destroyed by Sam Houston State in the quarterfinals of the FCS uh, playoffs, and... I sat by this guy, and he was an older guy, probably in his seventies, and he was he was flying back to Montana as well. And at the time, I was working for the Bozeman Daily Chronicle, and he was like, "Oh, you're a sports writer? Cool. I read the Chronicle all the time. Are you the guy that covers the Cats? Yeah, yeah. I'm the guy that covers Montana State. Okay." And he's like, "I think you're doing a great job." He's like, "I was a sports writer once upon a time," and I was like, "Oh, cool. Who'd you write for?" He's like, "Ah, Sports Illustrated." And I was like, excuse me? <laughs> and then it turns out this whole story extrapolated itself. It was Thomas McGuane, the famous 1960s and 1970s author. He wrote for the uh, Sports Illustrated in the late 60s, writing about hunting. But then he had his famous novel, Panama, became a very famous writer, wrote a couple uh, movie scripts, and now lives in McLeod, Montana. But See, you Mike, never that's know, why Mike. You gotta, that's why you got to talk to the to the passenger next to you. You know, you never know who you're going to meet. Hey, uh... 
Mike, let's talk a little bit about the Seattle Seahawks. They lose uh, 26-21 last night in a game that was a thrilling game. Obviously disappointing for Seahawks fans. Everybody is talking about the last 40 seconds of this game and the, the, the delay of game penalty and the non-call on what could have been a DPI and all of that. As you're sitting there watching this, and particularly on the, the delay of game, there was a, a potential injury on the offensive line. Turned out sort of not to be. Marshawn Lynch didn't really have his helmet ready to go into the game at the moment where this this potentially quasi-redemptive thing on the one to win a game and win the division and all that is there. How did this play out as you were watching this? You know, I was really confused by the delay of game penalty. Like, I was. I was just flabbergasted. I was like, this this cannot happen in this scenario with this guy in this moment. Like, everything about it was just was just wrong. And, you know, I, I should point out, George, George was fine. He got up. I mean, he may have been banged up, but he got up, uh, got to the line, and they spiked it. Like, George is not the reason uh, for the delay. It's what I think happened is, you know, I noticed during that drive, Marshawn had his coat on, no helmet. I don't even think he had gloves on. Like, he clearly thought he was done for the day, which makes sense because he does another two-minute offense. You know, he just got here a week ago. Uh, so it makes sense that Travis would be the guy there, and he thinks he's done, you know, because he doesn't think they're going to get a goal line shot probably. Yeah. And, you know, so I think the communication – when they're switching from their two-minute offense and their two-minute personnel, which is who they had in on John or Sue was catch, switching from that to get Marshawn in the game, a guy who, because, you know, uh, I don't know how many people know this, when you're in the game and you're, like, part of the rotation, you stand next to your coach, so when they, it's like hockey, it's like there's line changes, essentially. Yeah. Like, you're ready to go. If you're just chilling on the sidelines eating candy with a beanie on, you know, it's going to take a little longer for, to get the call to you and for you to go find your helmet and gloves and whatever and get back on the on the field. So I think just that little part, uh, maybe they were confused about, you know, whether to go with their goal line package because they didn't have any timeouts. So running the ball, maybe only get one shot at that. Uh, so I think those maybe those two factors there just, just blew the game. And maybe blew the season, really. That was just such a, a just a disaster, uh, I think. I mean, they still got other shots at it. And, you know, they were like two inches away from Jake Pollister, you know, sending them to the... Uh, or keeping them home, I guess, in the wild card round. But I thought that the the blown delay of game at the one, which with Marshawn Lynch there, like you said, just that the relationship Marshawn has with the Seahawks in the one yard line, like it all could have just, you know, just righted all the wrong uh, in a sense right there, and they just they just whiffed. But that was going to be exactly what I was going to ask you: is just like the serendipitous, but then not moment that almost happened. I mean, you almost got Marshawn Lynch on the goal line to win the NFC West, and instead they don't. <laughs> and instead it, it goes awry again. First of all, just tell us, what do you th- how, much, how much have the injuries in the backfield hindered Seattle? What's the environment been like the last week with the re-signing of Marshawn Lynch? And what do you think just in general, the fact that they weren't able to right that wrong from the Super Bowl, and it kind of all played out like it did the first time around? I mean, it's still a storybook ending, I think. Like, uh, I kind of wrote that it killed that. But I mean, the more I thought about it, like, every movie doesn't end positively for the, you know, the protagonist. Uh, one of my favorite football movies is Friday Night Lights. And they lost, I believe, right on the one-yard line as well. Uh, you know, sometimes it happens like that. That was just a disaster. Like, to, to whiff on that, though, is, is inex- especially with a delay of game. Like, of all things, you should be, urgency should be the, the top priority uh, there. Well, maybe along with being on the same page. Uh, but I, I think the run, the injuries haven't been as detrimental as maybe people thought. And I didn't think they'd be that bad. I remember last season, 
You know, I think every game that Chris Carson didn't play in 2018, they had a 100-yard rusher. I'm pretty sure that was the case. I think Mike Davis did in uh, Arizona last season, and I'm pretty sure Rashad Finney had a 100-yard game at the Rams last year. Like, as long as the run blocking is there, the drop, the the difference in talent from, like, the elite running backs to the, like, good, maybe above average isn't, like, that drastic. Like, all these guys are pretty much fast and can make a guy miss or two and can break a tackle. I mean, yes, Chris Carson's probably a better talent than all the other guys they have on the roster, but as long as the blocking is there, like, they'll still be able to run the ball effectively. I think Travis, when he had 10 carries, it went over 60 yards, you know, and, and caught all five of his passes, I think, as well. And some of those went for first downs. Like, he can still be fine with Travis and, and Marshawn, uh, especially as a one-two punch. Neither guy is probably built to touch the ball maybe 20 times a game, but they could each get to, you know, anywhere from 8 to 15, you know, on any given Sunday. So I, I, I think they're fine there. I think a lot of the guys have been, like, really hyped up about having Marshawn back uh, just because they needed that boost. I don't know if that will carry over into the uh, – this wild card round, but I mean, just the fact that they can run the ball and be physical and they don't have to change who they are uh, with these new personnel, I think that's the biggest part. Mike Dugar joining us. He's uh, on Twitter at Mike Dugar. He, follow, he covers the Seattle Seahawks for the Athletic. Uh, Mike, when it comes to this wild card game, the, if you want to look at this through rose colored glasses, maybe for Seattle, they were going to be playing this week anyway, no matter what. Now they're playing on the road at Philadelphia instead of at home against, I believe, it would have been the Minnesota Vikings. Is that? I understand traveling, and especially for them at CenturyLink, it's such an advantage. You don't want to go to the East Coast, but when you're talking about the team that you're actually playing against, it's not clear to me that you wouldn't prefer to play the Philadelphia Eagles right now than you would the Minnesota Vikings. Granted, Carson Wentz has been playing much better the last month and all that, but, I mean, this is a team, talk about injuries. They are completely riddled with injuries, uh, uh, the, the Philadelphia Eagles are. is this, this doesn't seem like a worse situation from at least this week's standpoint in that sense to me. I mean, maybe the matchup is a bit more favorable, but you got to look at it this way, too. If they'd have beat the Niners um, Sunday night, and, yeah, they'd be facing the Vikings, who are a better opponent than Philly, but they would have also just beaten the best team in the conference, right? So they would have had the confidence to feel like, even if they were 5-3 and three on at home this year, which in that scenario they would be, like, that's not the worst thing, you know, in the world. Plus, again, you would have just beaten the Niners. For sure. Uh, without without your starting left tackle, your starting free safety, and you're down to, like, your fourth and fifth string running backs, two of which you signed off the street. Uh, so, I mean, that factored in, like, yeah, Minnesota may be better than Philly, but, like, if you just beat San Francisco, you know, in that emotional game, then they would have to have been feeling like they could beat anyone. And I, I'm pretty sure the fan base would have reflected that, like, optimism. The other part about that is the three-seed, has a chance to host the NFC title game. The yep. gap between one, two, and five in that scenario would be Green, it'd be Green Bay, New Orleans, and San Fran at five. There's no real like significant gap there. San Fran is still probably better than those two, mm-hmm. evidenced by them beating both of those teams. So you have a chance where you, A, you send San Fran on the road, which is just a win for Seahawks in general. Uh, B, you get to stay home, and there's a chance that if San Fran does make a run, you know, you can maybe be the team that hosts the NFC title game. Like, there were so many just other advantages uh, to having home, you know, home field, at least in the wild card round, aside from just the one matchup of Philly versus Minnesota. You know, your goal in the playoffs is not to win one game. It's to win you know, three or whatever, four, I guess, if you're in the wild card round. So if you're looking big picture, the, the route to the Super Bowl is a lot easier when you're playing as a three 
versus as a five. So that's where I was like, no, Minnesota, you want to play Minnesota next week. That's what Seattle wanted. The players wanted, the coaches wanted, it. everybody in the organization wanted it. And that's why, for all those reasons that I just rattled off. We get you out of here on this then. It's been about six weeks since Seattle beat Philadelphia 17-9 to in Philly. What are your initial thoughts on this playoff matchup? Yeah, see, and I think that, that people forget how bad the offense looked that, that week. <laughs> like, the, the offense needed, like, Rashad Penny to go beast mode for a second and a Malik Turner trick play uh, to really have the advantage. Otherwise, they, they looked awful. Uh, you know, Tyler Lockett wasn't involved. You know, DK had, like, two or three drops. Russ missed about the easiest throw he'll ever have in his life. Uh, just failing one on Jacob Hollister, the pass protection. I wasn't there. I think he was sacked like five times. I'm like, this this will not be a walk in the park. It just will not be. It's going to probably be another game that comes down to the wire. Uh, you know, I think they should beat Philly. They're better than Philly, and Philly's receivers are no more uh, famous than any of us on this line right now. Like, Philly's receivers are, I mean, half their team is on IR or they're just dudes off the street. Yeah. Like, it's it's ridiculous. Uh, so if there's any team more banged up in Seattle in the postseason, it's certainly Philly. But that doesn't guarantee anything. Everyone's an NFL player uh, at this point. Anyone? I mean, John Arsua came off the bench in his first ever, had his first ever catch, and it almost beat the 49ers in Week 17. Like you know, on fourth and ten. So I mean, anybody can can make plays at the end of the day. So I think they'll, they'll they should win. Uh, they should beat Philly. It'll probably be close. Um, but it's, they're going to need that same type of energy as the last time. They're going to need to force turnovers. They're going to need to have a pass rush, you know. Clowney didn't have a quarterback hit, you know, Sunday night. There was only two quarterback hits, I believe, and they were both sacks on the first drive. You know, they're going to need to be a lot better than they were Sunday night, even against uh, a Philly team, which is far inferior uh, compared to San Fran. Mike, we appreciate it always, and uh, good luck in the middle seat all the way over to Philadelphia, <laughs> and uh, and we'll catch up with you next week after this uh, wild card uh, matchup. All right. All right. Thanks. I got I got two window seats coming back on my connecting flight, so uh, hopefully that'll be a little better. There you go. You get the pillow, you lean it up against there, and you're in business. All right. <laughs> That's the way to go with that, Mike. We appreciate it very much. Always. Thank you. Thank you. Coulter, you have a business, and your business is based in the World Wide Web. Indeed I do, so I'm on my computer all the time. And if you're not online, you're not making money, and it is important to make sure that you're online and secure. Am I right? Absolutely. Got to be cyber safe this day and age. Well, for you business owners out there, whether you have an online business or a brick-and-mortar business, it's still running through the web. We all know that's a fact. And in today's always-on world, your business demands a simpler approach to network security. At Blackfoot Communications, they deliver state-of-the-art security solutions from the perimeter to the endpoint devices and remote data backup for businesses across the state of Montana. They do. They're keeping everybody cyber-secure and ensuring that businesses run the way that they need to across the state. So ensure your company's network is online all the time. For more information, visit goblackfoot.com slash business. That's goblackfoot.com slash business. And you can click the link right here in the old podcast. We've made it so very easy for you. Go visit and find out how to keep your business or the business of people you know secure online with Blackfoot. Mike Dugar covers the Seahawks for The Athletic at Mike Dugar on Twitter. You want to go follow him there. Here's the thing, though, Colter to me. I, and listen, there is no doubt, I'm not going to sit here and argue that it's a better situation for the Seahawks to go to Philadelphia than it is to play at home against Minnesota, even though Minnesota's a better team than Philadelphia is. It's just better for all the reasons that he outlined. That said, 
if if Seattle wins this football game, the overwhelming likelihood. Well, I mean, I don't know what you think about the New Orleans Vikings matchup, but is that they're going to go play in Green Bay uh, against the Green Bay Packers? Okay, that's presuming that the Saints win this football game. Had they won against San Francisco and and then hold serve against Minnesota, the overwhelmingly likely scenario is that they're going to play in New Orleans against the Saints. Mm-hmm. This is a this is. You're two for two on actually playing worse teams by losing. If that's if if it holds that way, then then I mean to me, I think New Orleans is the best team in the NFC. I think New Orleans is the best team. Okay, and the fact that they're a th- thirteen and three and the three seed is crazy, man. Right. That's crazy. So they kind of get crazy that the Packers are they the one or the two? they're the two because the Niners got the one. They right. would have been the one. Which is remarkable, right? They're like the fifth best team. Well, they're not the fifth best team. They're the second best team. Maybe the third. Uh, but the point is, is that it, it, it's, you know, obviously you can't predict the future and you just want to win those games. And you do want to send San Francisco packing, bagging twice. You know, you just you want to do that. It's, it's big for morale. It's big to play at home again and all you know everything that, that could have gone on there. But at the end of the day, I mean... Pick your poison. Everybody's good at this point. Would you rather play Green Bay in Green Bay, or would you rather play New Orleans in the Superdome? Probably take Green Bay at this point. You know, Green Bay's a really good football team, but they have not been the dominant sort of team that a team like New Orleans has been throughout the, the course of this year, or even, frankly, for a good portion of the season, the San Francisco 49ers. They have found ways to win, and you know what? There's an art to that. You know who's very much like that? The Seattle Seahawks are very much like that. So I, I, I think that, that at the end of the day, this is a far bigger game for San Francisco than it was for the, for the Seattle Seahawks. Okay, it, just, it was huge for, for San Francisco to be able to go home field throughout as, and not and have a bye week as opposed to on the road throughout and playing next week. I mean, that is the turn of events there on that one foot of territory that happened on the end of the year is just it, incalculable. So often, too, though, we, we get head over heels into trying to analyze all this stuff in depth and ad nauseum and so much about the NFL. How healthy are you? Who's hurt? Yeah. The Seahawks lost two games. Dugard, Mike Dugard just said that he didn't think it was as impactful as he maybe thought it might be when Chris Carson and CJ Proseith and who's the third? Penny? Yeah, Rashad Penny. All went okay. out. Yeah. CJ Proseith, excuse me. He said it hasn't been as impactful. Well, they lost two straight. So it has been, but but there those injuries. I get what he's saying yeah. though because they've been able to stem the tide a little bit more. Whereas the Vikings had a chance to play their way into that top four, top three. You know, maybe get a home game and without Dalvin Cook and without Alexander Madison, no, no, it's well, not happening. Here's the thing I thought was interesting in the game against Arizona two weeks ago for for Seattle. When Travis Homer comes into the game in the second quarter, he looks awful. Doesn't look like he doesn't look like a professional football player, quite frankly, in that spot. Swimming. When he though gets a week to be the guy and to prepare, and they find the stuff that he's good at and his skill sets that are not implemented for that game plan against the Arizona Cardinals, they go up against a much better, much better defense. Uh, maybe I mean one of the best defenses in in football. 
and he was was very solid for them last night. You know, he 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 ran the football and they blocked it up and they schemed it up and and so that's I think the key is it's who you're missing, but it's also when you're missing them. So I I think that's you know a a, a big big part of everything that was going on. Let's go to the phones. Who do we got? Terry here on the phone. Come on into the show here. What do you got? Hey man, this kind of uh you know not Seahawks or Vikings or anything, but Washington Redskins. Um, I read that. Uh, they're, sounds like they're going to introduce Ron Rivera as soon as they can as the ex-head coach and that Bruce Allen is gone as the GM. Do you think that that will make a difference in Washington? Um, sadly, no, because, Terry, who's still the owner in Washington? That's kind of what I was thinking. Yeah. But, I, you know, it's kind of one of those things where, he, you know, he uh, Ron did a – uh, admirable job in in Carolina, about as good as I think a uh, guy could have expected him to do. And you know, it's it's kind of like Bill Parcells being in um, Dallas. You know, I mean, he stood up to Jerry Jones. I wonder if maybe Ron might be able to take and do that a little bit to uh, Schneider there, to Daniel Schneider. Here, I, the Redskins are never going to be fixed in, under their current ownership. You can't just. Well, underrated part, everybody thinks if you get a quarterback, you got a chance. You have to have a quarterback and a coach and a GM and an owner that are all on the same page. And if you don't have that, my brother and I were talking about this the other day. Jameis Winston just went 30-30. He just threw 30 touchdowns and 30 picks. Jameis Winston's five years into his NFL career. He's absolutely the most volatile guy in the league right now. But what actually is he? Because if you actually break down the guys that are outside the top seven or eight quarterbacks in the league, like... The Ravens are good because of Lamar Jackson. The system's built around him. The Seahawks are good because of Russell Wilson. He can be the captain. The Packers are good because of Aaron Rodgers. So many other guys, they're good for the system that they're in or not. But who knows what would happen? If you put Matt Stafford on the Saints, what would Matt Stafford be? If you put Jameis Winston, if he would have been in the seat that Jared Goff was in last year, what would we think of Jameis Winston? You know, it's so interesting because a lot of people are on Pete Carroll today. Right. And Terry, thanks for the call. Uh, and, and rightfully so. I mean, this, even if it wasn't directly his fault, this falls at the feet of Pete Carroll. Of, right. of, of uh, completely messing this up at the end. Period. Right. And he has, he's not, this isn't the first time that something like this has happened. I mean, not, not even the, the not handing it off to Marshawn Lynch and all that, which I actually think from a coaching standpoint, he did all of that correctly. But he's not—he's not the quote-unquote best coach in the world, uh, as far as the you know the Bill Belichick's or whoever you want to put in there. But also, he's been to two Super Bowls. One-one has an overwhelmingly uh, you know winning record as a head coach, and it's like you know if if people are upset with this guy for not getting it exactly right in that moment, or in fact, getting it completely wrong in that moment. But who who are you going to get instead? And the same can be said for the quarterback. If you got a quarterback that is that is good for your system, even if he's not the reason, the guy who's carrying your team, count your blessings. Because there's a lot of teams that just got a guy who's an absolute anchor to the ship. And that's my whole point, is that... To have sustained success, you have to have sustained continuity. Yep. You can, in the NFL, because of the one-and-done nature of the playoffs, catch lightning in a bottle if you have the right quarterback with the right scheme. I mean, Nick Foles is a Super Bowl MVP. Is Nick Foles anywhere close to the top 20 quarterbacks in the NFL? 
No, he's not. I mean, not in that system at that 20. moment, he was right. But sure. all I'm saying is the only way to have sustained success is to have organizational continuity. As long as Dan Snyder owns the Washington Redskins, they will not have that because he's been so sporadic. They at one time actually had good GMs, had to move on from them. They, I mean, how many GMs have they had in the last 18 years? Six, sure. seven? I mean, they've had so many general managers, so many coaches until you get on the same page. Look at all the great organizations in pro sports, the Spurs, the Patriots. What do they have? They have continuity from the top down. Um, by the way, speaking of the Patriots, this was a highlight for me, and I am not a hater of the Patriots the way some people are, but to watch Miami go in and do the Patriots in Gillette Stadium in Foxborough, it it made me so very happy. And then for Kansas City to get the bye, and now for the road to be a harder one, in fact, a very hard one, for New England and for some of that varnish and that, you know, everybody, got, if they're the two seed, you just go, ah, forget it. I don't care if they got to go to Baltimore in the AFC Championship game, mark it. You know, they're going to the Super Bowl. Now, no, 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 no. This just became so very much more difficult. If you got to win at Arrowhead and then at Baltimore, totally. good luck. Good luck to you. I don't care how good your defense is. That was wonderful. Shout out, Tucker Sargent. You know, guests, the Wingate by Wyndham is the Missoula Hotel that truly offers something for everybody. No doubt. It's conveniently located near the airport, easy for when your friends come to visit you. And you know, of course, my favorite, water slides. That's right. they got an awesome water park with a sweet water slide that's perfect for families, groups, and birthday parties. With the Wingate, they also have a terrific business travel rate, large meeting spaces for you and your clients, and one of the best rewards programs you'll find anywhere. Talk to me about breakfast. They're not messing around with the Continental. They got the full breakfast spread, man. That's what I'm talking about. I need that. They got you covered there as well. Just down the road from the Missoula Airport, the location is quiet and convenient. The parking is ample and free, and the staff genuinely cares about taking care of their guests. The Wingate is at 5252 Airway Boulevard. You can also call. Very simple, easily memorizable number, 541-8000. That's 541-8000. The best hotel at the best spot for a hotel near the airport. Let the Wingate by Wyndham in Missoula make you feel at home, even when you're not. Let's go to Rob. A lot has transpired in the last week. I mean, we had the national semifinals going on and everything like that. Hello, Rob. How are you? What do you got? Not bad. How you guys doing? Doing uh, great. So, big Tom Ohio State fan. Game tore me up. What do you guys think about that targeting call and how that uh, that non-catch fumble call really, how it affected the game overall, honestly? Well, uh, first of all, I mean, the the answer to your exact question is it massively it <laughs> affected the game hugely and against Ohio State in both instances. The targeting call for what targeting is was targeting. I mean, it, it was targeting. And even though it wasn't flagged on the field, uh, it was it was a a helmet leading thing. And and so I mean that's that's just sort of what it is, and it's a tough situation in that spot. But the rule, such as it is, that's the call. That's fine. I thought so. This is something that's coming out now to me, and I'm glad you asked this question, Rob, because I didn't realize this until you know they they, they have all the, the former referees now who are talking about this. Kirk Herbstreit was adamant that it was a catch and then a fumble and was going to be an Ohio State touchdown, and I agreed with him in the moment, and I agree with him still. Look to me for all the world like it was a catch, and even though his momentum is going backwards, he's got the football. What kind of move can you make if you are being held by somebody else? Like There's not a lot to be done there. 
But the the referee came on and said he disagreed and he thought that the call would be overturned. And he said this, and I thought that this was crucial. We don't look at receptions in slow motion. I didn't know that. I mean, they do. Let me say that different. They do look at them in slow motion, but they, they assess catch or no catch essentially in real time. You know what other calls they do that with? Pass interference. Right. And so while we're sitting here and you got the still frame of the offense or the defensive pass interference last night in the Seattle game or in the in this catch, you go, well, that's a catch. That's a catch all day. What else is he going to do? They're not looking at it. They're not assessing it in slow motion. They are assessing it in real time. And that's why he says there wasn't enough there to constitute a catch. I disagree with that in that instance. I mean, first of all, that's the only way that I can understand why you would overturn it. It looked to me like a a catch and a fumble and a scoop and score and six points for Ohio State. And that's obviously a huge momentum swinging play. I don't believe, if I recall, that Clemson scored on that drive. So Ohio State still got the stop. In fact, that may, yeah, it may have been even a third down where it was an immediate punt, but it's not. Obviously, a scoop and score defensive touchdown, which is a huge momentum swing. That said, Ohio State had their chances. They had their chances early, and they had their chances late. And I do not sit here and go, oh, they had it They had it ripped from them. I know a lot of Ohio State fans feel like, and even Ryan Day, you know, voicing his anger and discontent about a lot of calls that he thought went against them. You know, I really only thought one call went "quote unquote" against them in a really meaningful way, and that was the the the, the fumble, and that's a big call for sure. But it wasn't the game. It wasn't the game, as far as I'm concerned. I thought the game was in Ohio State's hands, and they failed to score two red zone touchdowns that ended up being field goals that ended up making what could have been a three touchdown game or at least a 17 point game, a two touchdown game. And give Clemson all the credit, man. They know. They know how to deal with that, and you've, it felt like once Clemson kind of broke through, got it figured out a little bit, they were going to be tough to contain, and, and they were. If, if I'm going to... Go ahead. No, you go ahead. I mean, I agree. Ohio State had 100% chance to win that football game, but with those two calls going against them, I mean, momentum swing, yes, and six points off the board, that just completely just tears them down, tears them away. Well, I mean, it, 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 it did change... It did change it, but I mean, again, the the targeting call was targeting. I mean, it's not, not, I mean, that's just what it was. So it's a huge momentum swing, but that's on the player. I mean, that's that's something that transpired on the field. The other one, look, I mean, it's just kind of the way it goes. I didn't think it was egregious, I'll say that. I didn't think there was anything egregious about any of that stuff. It was not, it was nothing like, say, the New Orleans Rams uh, game, and Rob appreciate the call, but it was nothing like the Rams uh, you know, non-call of of DPI in New Orleans in the NFC Championship game a year ago, which which is very nearly just the game goes to the other team as a result of that. I mean, this is all I, right, guys. I appreciate it. You go have a good one. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate it. I can understand if you're an Ohio State fan how you could be incredibly mad. I mean, they were the better team. That's what's frustrating, I think, to Ohio State fans. If you watch the game, I think Ohio State is better than Clemson in that game. The and national, yet they lost. The it. national perception of Clemson has to be one of the most fascinating things in the world hmm. right now. Yep, I, mean, these, they, they, I mean, they are the de, they're the defending national champs and they're undefeated and everybody thinks that they're not as good as a lot of other teams. Not a lot, a handful of other teams. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I mean they beat Alabama multiple times. Yeah. In the national championship, on the big stage. I mean, yeah. that's in the national playoffs. That, that's crazy. My whole stance on all this sort of stuff is that 
you can never, like all coaches say, you can never control what's going to happen to you. You can only control how you respond. Mm-hmm. Bad calls are going to happen all over the place. There are singular plays that happen all over the place. You never know when you might get held on the backside and it allows a big kick return that then sparks. I mean, whatever happens, there might be a no call. It's all sorts all over the place. These these bang bang plays that are then put under scrutiny of HD TV replay. I think it's just such a tenuous situation, but. Even after all the stuff that happened, Ohio State happens. Don't give up a 94-yard drive. Totally. You have the ball last. Score. Don't throw an interception. Yeah. yeah. I, and I get it. It's kids, and that's why college football is so fascinating, because mm-hmm. these are kids. And when they do have a bad play go there in the wrong way, and it's a bad call, and everybody knows it, it's way harder for young men to, re- to respond. It's You're just so emotional. But at the end of the day, I never think that one play impacts everything more than anything else. Especially Trevor when it comes to a call. Lawrence ran for 67 yards and a touchdown on one play, and then they went 94 yards in four plays, and and, and from then we're behind and took the lead. I mean, that's that's you know that's the game right there. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about how the game went? That's that's where the game went. That was an epic football game, though. Just from a just from a fan or enjoyment of football, that's as good as it gets. I mean, if we could get something like that in the national championship, unbelievable. Yep. Coulter, you have a business, and your business is based in the World Wide Web. Indeed I do, so I'm on my computer all the time. And if you're not online, you're not making money, and it is important to make sure that you're online and secure. Am I right? Absolutely. Got to be cyber safe this day and age. Well, for you business owners out there, whether you have an online business or a brick-and-mortar business, it's still running through the web. We all know that's a fact. And in today's always-on world, your business demands a simpler approach to network security. At Blackfoot Communications, they deliver state-of-the-art security solutions from the perimeter to the endpoint devices and remote data backup for businesses across the state of Montana. They do. They're keeping everybody cyber-secure and ensuring that businesses run the way that they need to across the state. So ensure your company's network is online all the time. For more information, visit goblackfoot.com slash business. That's goblackfoot.com slash business. And you can click the link right here in the old podcast. We've made it so very easy for you. Go visit and find out how to keep your business or the business of people you know secure online with Blackfoot. Coulter, the uh, Montana Grizzlies. Montana State Bobcats are collectively 4-0 between their men's and women's teams in Big Sky Conference basketball. Uh, The men started off in the state of Montana at home to start their conference slate. Montana State beating Sacramento State 66-51, who had a really impressive, actually, non-conference, one of the better non-conference sort of schedules and results of any of the Big Sky Conference teams. Yeah, 7-2. And so for Montana State to win handily, holding Sacramento State to under 35%, uh, impressive. I know you were in the barn uh, uh, for uh, for that game, and you, you and I will both be at Dahlberg Arena tonight for, uh, you get to see Sacramento State two games in a row. How about that, culture against the Montana Grizzlies? And the Grizz, behind early, behind, in fact, for most of 23 minutes out of a possible 40 in this game, but used a 15-2 run about five minutes into the second half to propel them to a lead. Uh, uh, Saeed Bridget absolutely phenomenal in this game. 27 points leading the way. Kendall Manuel adding 16 as well. Six for six from the line for Kendall Manuel uh, in particular. And they find a way, particularly defensively, to hold a team to two points on the, to go on a 15-2 run and then hold off Northern Arizona. And uh, 
uh, and get a big win to start your conference slate off right. Look, man, right now it's completely up for grabs in the Big Sky Conference. Nobody knows anybody who's <laughs> who's good, who's not good, whatever. Got to win your home games. Got to win your home games. And Montana, Montana State both did it, did it well, and now they'll switch opponents tonight. Northern Arizona in Bozeman and Sacramento State in Missoula. I mean, you can't get too ahead of yourself because I do think that Sac State and NAU are definitely going to be bottom half of the league across the board, men's and women's. Yeah. All four of those squads are going to be bottom half of the league. But if you want to be top half of the league, you got to beat those teams, especially on your home court. And it's always good wins no matter what. I mean, if you watched any part of the Lady Grizz game, like Tom Stage, the play-by-play guy for the Lady Grizz said, you could bowl in this arena. You could set up pins at the end of the the end of the aisle, bowl it on down because there's nobody in there. Yeah. And so you're playing in a cavernous football dome in front of no one. Sometimes that is a, as big of a home court advantage as you can get, especially if you're a Lady Grizz team that's used to playing in front of 2,500, 3,000 all yeah. the time. So it's a good win for Lady Grizz to go to NAU and get that win. It's yeah. also good. I mean, Sac State on the women's side, I think it's pretty tried and true now that Bunky Harkle Road has definitely the most unique style in the league, maybe in the country. Certainly has the most unique name. And he doesn't. He he just hasn't recruited very well. When they when he first took that job over and he had players like Fantasia Hilliard and Maran Johnson, Sac State was so, so dangerous. And now... Their goals, their stated goals, are to shoot 53s, 100 three-pointers, force 30 turnovers, and... Was get, it, is it 50 or 100? Sh- shoot 53s, shoot 100 field goals, excuse me. 100 field goals, guys. And force 30 turnovers and get 45% of the offensive rebounds. So all they're doing is jacking and crashing the glass, and if you give a, get a layup, they'll trade you threes for twos, and oftentimes if they shoot 53s, they're going to make 15 to 20 of them, and you might get 20 free layups. Well, now, like, they shot... Like less than twenty percent in the second half of that game, yeah. and Montana State wins by forty. Yeah, and so it's a flawed style for sure. But make no mistake, it's hard to prepare for. So to get off to the conference it's the start, triple to, option of basketball. It is kind yeah. of yeah, no doubt. But then on the men's side, uh, the Grizz. Th- this team's going to be so hard to judge for a long time because yeah. they, when I watch them, they have talent. They do. They just don't know how to play together yet. But that's a good step to get a, a victory. But NAU's been a bottom dweller, and they have a new head coach. We'll see what they do against Sac State tonight because Sac State, they don't have Marcus Graves, and that's huge. But I thought that in Bozeman Saturday, I was there for the game, and a couple impressions. First of all, Brian Katz is a really good coach, and he gets his guys to play hard. And they he knows what he has at his disposal. And, and he has had success in Dahlberg Arena. No doubt. And yeah. he's had success against the Grizz, period. I mean, the Grizz, yeah. had, uh, one of the biggest monkeys on Travis DeKear's back for a long time was winning at Sac State. They had a hard no time winning at Sac State. Yep. Sac State always. Sac State's two best guys are almost always two of the best guys in the league. They have a hard time filling in everything else. But whether you're talking about Mike McKinney, who was the league MVP back in 2014, or Dylan Garrity, or Justin Strings, and then last year was Marcus Graves and Josh Patton. Now they only have Josh Patton, but Patton is definitely. I'd say the three best big guys in the league are Josh Patton from Sac State, Mason Peetling from Eastern Washington, and the guy who. Announced himself to the rest of the league on Saturday, and that's Jabril Billo yeah. from Montana State. Patton feasted in the first half. He was five and five from the floor. He had sixteen points at halftime. He was doing whatever he wanted, catching it. Montana State was throwing a bunch of freshmen at him. He was just eating. I mean, he was doing whatever he wanted. Well, then in the second half, they put Balo on, and it was not just Balo switching on to guard Patton because a lot of times they're actually running in the zone. It was on the other side. They had Balo pin Patton on the block. 
and go at him, and he got him into foul trouble. Mm. Pat's the best shot blocker in the league, no question. And he had two resounding blocks that looked like they could give Sac State some momentum. But then they dumped it to Baylo, drop step, finish, drop step, finish. They got a couple fouls, and then all of a sudden Patton has to lay off, and Baylo scored 10 of his 18 after halftime. Ends up battling Patton to a draw. They both had 18 points. And I thought it was a pretty uh, resounding announcement by Baylo that he is a real deal big guy in this league. So, yeah, I don't, like, again, I don't think that as far as the men go, I don't think NAU or Sac State are going to be that much of a threat in the league this year. But it'll be, it'll, I'll be really interested to see tonight because twofold, Sac plays one of the slowest paces in the country. They want to slow it down, they want to grind you. They're big, Montana's not. So how do they? How does Montana guard Patton? What's their answer for that? And how do they handle maybe not getting out of running? Because Sac State wants you to make mistakes, and Montana has a lot of young guys that are prone to make mistakes. So it'll be an intriguing matchup. But as every coach is going to tell us throughout the next ten weeks, this is a straight marathon. Twenty conference games is an astounding amount of conference games. So winning one, losing one, who knows? I think it's going to come down to this league race is going to come down to. How well do you respond after a loss? What record do you think the best team in the conference is going to have conference record when it's all said and done? Oh, man, that's an interesting question because I think that the 20-game conference schedule, it, it almost caters to like a guaranteed two losses. You just never know You never know when you're just going to stub your toe or get a bad crew. Or And, and if, if you're a two-loss team, you are dominant. Simply dominant in conference. Think about play. how good Montana was last year, and I don't. And I they just, went sixteen and four. I, I don't see that. You know, well, that's what I'm saying. Montana was so good last year, and they still went sixteen and four. Because you never know when you have to play Northern Colorado on a Monday, two days after Cat Chris. Well, and, and you know, you never know when you have to go on some weird swing. There are a couple. I won't call them scheduled losses, but every team is going to have two games where it sets up for them to be such a harder game than just playing the team at the place. You know, right? And and they they played. Uh, they played Northern Colorado, who they beat in Missoula by like four points or something like that, because they were playing their third game in seven days. And Northern or Northern Colorado, excuse me, Northern Colorado was coming off like a nine-day, uh, uh, you know, bye. They were off for for almost a week and a half. Then when they had it even, and they went to Northern Colorado, and they hammered. Northern Colorado in the second game in Greeley, but that's the type of stuff that the schedule sort of dictates because it is, even though it's balanced in the sense that you play around Robin, you play everybody twice, the way that it happens is very, very uh, uh, hard. And it, it is, it's very sort of, uh, uh, um, what do I want to say, imbalanced, asymmetric, whatever, how you want to talk about it. So that is, that is I think, I mean, I think 15 and 5, could get it. Oh, done. totally. Oh, no. I you mean, know? At, at 14 even. Yeah, 14 and 6, 15 and 5. I mean, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer as we're on the eve of, I mean, we're about to go to Dahlberg Arena for our first conference game, but just objectively, the league is down on both sides. Yeah. And maybe that can prove me wrong, but there's just, I mean, the la- on both sides of the men and the women the last three years, there's been an exceptional group of talent. I mean, you've had some of the greatest players in the history of the league, from Bogdan Blizniak and Jake Wiley at Eastern Washington to Jordan Davis at Northern Colorado to Tyler Hall at Montana State to the great group of great seniors from last year. Those guys are all generational-type players, and they were all playing at the same time. I mean, even a guy like Justin Strings could never even get a sniff on first-team all-league, and Justin Strings is ridiculous. He's really good, yeah. Really good, yeah. and from, from Sac State. And on the women's side... 
I mean, th- three of the five most prolific scorers in the history of the league, Savannah Smith at Northern Colorado, Taylor Pierce, and Michaela Forenza, Idaho, they were all in the same class. But then you also had that great class from Portland State that went to the tournament, Sidney Riley and Courtney West and Ashley Bolston. There's... This is the most fun part about college sports, though. Who emerges? Who's yep. the guy? I mean, we know some of the names. We know Harold Frey at Montana State. We know Zayed Pridget at Montana. We know Mason Peatling at Eastern Washington. We know Jarek Harding at Weber State. We know Jonah Radabaugh at Northern Colorado. But who's the guy who comes out of nowhere and you're like, whoa, who's that guy? Jacob Davison yep. was that guy last year yep. at Eastern Washington. Mm-hmm. Who, who becomes that player? It'll be interesting to watch because I do think – of all these four in-state squads, the Montana State women, they have the most established players, but everybody else, they have a chance to have real breakout players, uh, and it'll be interesting to see who evolves into that. It's do tell Nuanas, boys and girls. It's been a fun Monday show. I want to remind you now, we're not going to be on the air tomorrow, and we will not be on the air on New Year's Day. Enjoy the bowl games, okay? Enjoy the New Year's games. We'll be back with you on Tuesday uh, and uh, and on throughout to, to uh, usher in 2020. But it's been a, a very fun 2019. Coulter, appreciate you. David, welcome to the fray, my friend. And, uh, and to all of you out there listening, uh, day in, day out, week in, week out, we appreciate all of you. And, uh, and thanks for being here making this thing go, which you do. Whether you're traveling to Missoula for business, a family visit, or to watch the Grizz game, the Wingate wants to be your home away from home. Call the Wingate to find out how we can take care of your next trip to Missoula. From conference rooms to great complimentary breakfast to an indoor water park, we have what you need and what you want when traveling. The Wingate of Missoula is a proud supporter of Grizzly and Lady Grizz Athletics, and we look forward to making you feel at home when you're not. Get commencement ready at the Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Their grad fair sale is going on right now if you visit msubookstore.org. Free regalia? When you purchase a diploma frame at the MSU Bookstore, you can obviously visit the MSU Bookstore on the Montana State campus. The Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Visit on campus or at msubookstore.org.